0: Let's look to God in prayer. Father, we ask that your holy spirit might open our hearts and minds to what you have for us in your word. For we recognize, Father, that your word is perfectly clear. That what you have revealed to us and said to us is understandable. And yet, Father, we confess that we do not always understand. We do not always see all that you have for us there. But your spirit, the one who moved men to write these things down, to express your perfect word, that same one, he, will open our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us here in this passage. So, Father, we ask for that blessing upon the word read and the word preached as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians, if you're able to continue to stand, if you need to sit down, please do. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 the first 10 verses of this chapter. Beginning with verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. As I, as I sat this morning and, and listed, listened to Pastor preaching, I thought to myself, the passage that I chose here in Ephesians, I could use the very same outline. Did you notice that? Pastor's points that he made this morning? I took some notes. Now if I can just find them. What were his three points? Someone. Source, purpose, and hope. Did you see them all three of them in here? They are here. That these things we would find in several places in the New Testament. But what I would like to speak to you about this evening is that we would gain a clear understanding of what the gospel is all about, what it does. Because there are two errors. that They both actually existed in apostolic times, and they exist with us today. The one is legalism. And legalism is the notion that I've got to do something to gain God's favor. I've got to be good. Because after all, only good people go to heaven. I don't know how many times I told the little country church, and they could, they could all recite it from memory, I told them that I, that I wanted to assure them that there would be no one in hell who did not deserve to be there. And that there would be no one, with the exception of Jesus, who will be in heaven that deserves to be there. And, and this makes that clear, that it's not something that, that we gain by our works. And the other falsehood, is referred to as antinomianism. And that is, I've had my sins forgiven now, and so I don't have to worry about that anymore. The Ten Commandments don't apply to me anymore. There's actually a uh, preacher on the radio that is preaching that very statement. And someone asked the question, does that mean then that he is free to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery? Certainly not. Because the purpose here, notice that at the end there. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And even those good works that are referred to there, notice how Paul refers to them as God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. God has made preparation for us. And so just like driving down a country road in Kansas... I haven't seen so much of that around here, but there are country roads in Kansas that have these horrendous ditches on either side. I actually uh, spun out on black ice once and, and landed right side up after I'd rolled completely over in the bottom of one of those deep ditches, and I couldn't even see the road from there. But there was one of those on either side of the road. And, and, and the way of life, the way of salvation is narrow. And there are ditches on either side and we dare not stray off into those. And so notice what Paul is telling the believers there in Ephesus and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us here in Tucson and telling us that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Those people out there who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not come to faith in Him are dead. But they don't know it. They don't realize it because they're still walking around. They're still doing things. And, and some of them may even be in church and, and may be really working on being a good person. And doing good things that will give them credit with God. Now I don't know a lot about zombies. I know that's a popular topic now—the zombie apocalypse. But I'm kind of questioning whether these zombies—I've seen bits and pieces. I've never sat and watched the whole movie, any of them. But I've seen bits and pieces, and and they're walking around. Do they realize they're dead? Satan so deceives us that we can imagine that we're alive when we're not. And it's interesting here when when Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, he begins and says, you were. And then when he gets to Verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived. He includes himself. It's important for someone who is preaching the word to others to include himself. Never get the impression that when the pastor speaks to you about struggles with sin, when he speaks to you about what life is like, that he is somehow exempt from that. And a good preacher always preaches the sermon to himself before he gets up and preaches it to others. Paul is describing himself. He was a good Jewish boy. He followed the law. He did all the right things. People patted him on the back and thought he was wonderful in all the stuff that he was accomplishing. And yet he realizes that all the things that he thought were so wonderful were not. That he was living the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and was by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a terrible description, a child of wrath. it's not necessarily describing someone who who has a lot of wrath. We've all had experiences with children, maybe some of our own, or someone else's children, who can throw quite a fit and show a lot of wrath. But when, when Paul talks about being a child of wrath, he's talking about an inheritance Do you, do you have an inheritance? Speaking here just on earthly terms, something you're looking forward to? I, I've known people that were looking forward to inheriting the farm. Sometimes that doesn't work out. But, but Paul is describing us, apart from God, as not a child of God, you know, I've heard someone use that expression that, that, that someone called them so many bad names and they said they called me everything but a child of God. We like to think as humans that we're pretty good. And it is a common notion in our culture here in America that people are basically good. And so when people look at history and they look at a man like Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or Joseph Stalin or Chairman Mao and all the evil things that these men do, they just scratch their head and they can't figure it out. But we should not be surprised at such things. We should be surprised that people do as well as they do. And that is due to the common grace of God. It's not that they're saved, but that in God's common grace, this world is not as bad as it could be. But when it comes to our hearts, before we come to know Christ, there is nothing good there. And then in verse four, Paul tells us, "But God." And that's important to realize that that he starts with that. But God. He doesn't say, "But we figured it out." And and we were smart enough to know better. No, God is the one. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Paul doesn't go into detail about that great love here. And I think at this point he is assuming that after these people reading the first chapter of this book, and if you'll read that, that it's really clear what that great love of God is, it's what we celebrate this evening in the Lord's Supper. Often though it was interesting, I'm, I'm not opposed to holidays. Don't get me wrong. I, I have some, some brothers in Christ who are opposed to celebrating holidays, I had a pastor that uh, he would celebrate anti-holidays that we decided was because on Easter he would preach on anything but the resurrection. On Christmas he would preach on anything but the birth of Jesus. And it's sort of an anti-holiday sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is Jesus never asked us to celebrate his birthday, did he? And he never asked us to remember all the events of his life except one. And it's his death. Of all things, that we should be celebrating this evening, a death. You, you folks don't look like you're attending a funeral. And we're not. Because when we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, we are celebrating something that was terrible, the greatest injustice in the universe, but the basis of our forgiveness. And that he went to that cross, not for himself, but for us. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That love was given, notice verse 5, when we were dead in our trespasses. God didn't love us when we became good enough to merit that love. If, if you've lived with a parent that uh, you really questioned whether they loved you or not, I, I hope you didn't have that experience, but people do, and I've known people like that. I knew a woman that both of her parents were that way, and she couldn't stand it when uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day would come around because it wasn't something for her to celebrate. Her parents were very cruel to her. They did not show love to her, and no matter what she did, she could never gain their approval. I met a young woman who was, who was, uh, whose father was impressed with education, and this young woman had gotten herself a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctorate in law, and a medical degree. And she still couldn't impress her dad. God looks at us when we are dead in our trespasses and sin and shows love to us. And in that condition, when we were in that very condition, made us alive together with Christ. Christ. The Father made Jesus alive in the resurrection. And in that resurrection, He makes us alive. Because it's by grace that you've been saved. And notice that Paul mentions that phrase twice in here. He says it more than once here. That by grace you have been saved. What is grace? Grace is God's favor toward us that we did not deserve. There's two words that I think are important to keep in mind in our relationship with God. One is mercy. And mercy simply means that God did not give us what we deserved. But grace means more than that. Grace means we got the exact opposite of what we deserved. What we had earned. And He has raised us up with Him, with Jesus, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that that is a concept that the first time I read that, it really blew my mind. And every time I come back to that again, I have a hard time getting my mind fully around what that means. Because see, as far as I can see, well, I'm standing, but, but, but you folks are seated here. And I'm standing here on earth. And, and, and to see that our position in Christ Jesus is such that we're counted as seated with Him in the heavenly places. In other words, we made it already. We made it to glory. Not in our physical bodies. Not suggesting that at all, because I see that. You're here, I'm here. We know that. But... Our position with God is such that when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, in the coming ages. Do you realize that we're going to spend all of eternity in glory with Christ and realizing every moment of that that we did nothing to get there and that we do not deserve to be there? The angels in heaven wonder at all of that because there is no salvation for the fallen angels. My, my children, when they were little one time, came to me, and my two older two, and they asked me, they said, Daddy, can we pray for the devil? And I thought, why would you want to pray for the devil? Said, if we could get him converted, there'd be a lot less sin in this world. And I explained to them that, no, we can't pray for them because Jesus did not die to save the fallen angels. And Jesus did not die to save the elect angels. They've never fallen. They've never sinned. They don't know what it is to sin. And so they look at us, and they see us, and and they wonder at the God that they serve. and they will be wandering through all eternity and i believe so will we we will never figure out why me i don't think there's an answer to that because if there was an answer to why me then it would be something in me something about me that made me different than others and and paul is saying no no we're all the same it's god's work And then he comes back again to, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Now, I remember when I was sharing this with someone and saying that faith is a gift, and I believe that, that faith is a gift, that they pointed out that in the Greek... See, this is one of those things you get into in Greek. We have uh, gender. Now, there, there are only three genders. Masculine, feminine, and neuter. Human beings, there's only two sexes. I want to make that clear. There's a difference between those categories. But there are those three genders in Greek. And what they pointed out was that grace is feminine. Feminine. And I think that's kind of nice because I've never met a boy named Grace. I mean, there may be one out there somewhere, but. And faith is feminine. But gift, this gift, is neuter. There is a solution to it, and there's a reason for that. The reason that the gift of God is neuter is that it by being neuter includes all of what has preceded here. Grace, salvation, faith, all of that is included. Faith is a particular gift. But salvation is also a gift. And grace has to be a gift because that's what the word means, gift. And that none of this, all these things included together, none of them are the result of works. So that no one may boast. God has saved us in such a way that we cannot look at the lost world out there and say that we are better than they are. Or that there's no hope for them because we don't know who the elect are. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, Well... I honestly must confess I figured it out for myself because we're supposed to make our calling and election sure. And I hope you do that. If you don't have that assurance, seek it. It is a gift from God. But we don't know who the Lord will call and who will not be called because anyone from our perspective, is a possible candidate. There's nothing that they're doing, there's nothing that they're thinking that excludes them from the grace of God. And should God choose, choose to draw that friend, that relative, that loved one that does not confess Christ, God can accomplish that. And the whole purpose of all of this is so that we might be doing those good things that God called us out for. To to be a Christian believer and not see that kind of image would would be like someone who went through all the trouble of going to medical school and passing all those courses and and doing all that work and all that residency. and, And, oh, it's a long, long time if you're going to be a brain surgeon. And then at the end of it, not doing anything with it. How foolish, we would look at them and say. How foolish of you. If God has redeemed you and you know that, look for the things that he has for you, not to gain his favor, but to show your gratitude for the grace that he's given to you, that you would walk in that. Everyone in the world is either dead or alive, spiritually. And the gospel comes to the dead, that they might be made alive. Let's look to God in prayer. Father, we wonder at the things that you have done. When we look out upon the creation itself, we see wonders, things that we cannot understand. A universe that seems to expand forever. And here we are on this little planet where you chose to place mankind And your creation, Adam, sinned against you. And in him we all fell. And we are by nature children of wrath. But praise be to you that you saw fit to send forth your word in power and in the work of the Holy Spirit into our lives that we recognized our lost condition and that we came fleeing to you because you gave us faith to trust, to trust in the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, to trust in his perfect obedience to your law for our justification and to trust in his resurrection from the dead as our resurrection, both spiritual now and ultimately that physical resurrection that we will receive. Father, we rejoice in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.